Welcome back to the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. On today's episode, Darwin hosts Robert Wolfarth, president of Cadence Regulatory. He is an expert in regulatory affairs with 30 years of experience. During their conversation, they talk about regulatory affairs strategy behind submissions at a C-suite level, U.S. companies preparing global regulatory strategy to sell in Europe and China, and challenges in helping startup companies with regulatory strategy. Well, I couldn't be more excited to welcome everybody to this episode of the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest and and friend of of the show who we've done webinars with previously joining us, Robert Wolforth. Uh, Robert has worked in the medical device uh, industry as regulatory affairs professional for over 30 years. He has a broad background of, of product experience, including orthopedic implants, and cardiovascular devices. He specializes in regulatory strategy, uh, strong experience in in leadership, writing successful regulatory submissions, and has significant strength in negotiating with governing bodies, including the FDA and the EU notified bodies. Uh, He works currently as a consultant for small to mid cap companies and is the president of Cadence Regulatory LLC. So welcome, Robert, I'm so excited uh, and appreciate your time to join us today. Thanks very much, Darwin. It's good to uh, good to join you. Appreciate the invitation and uh, greetings from lovely Barcelona, Spain. Yes, I'm I'm very jealous. Next time I'm I'm coming there, we're doing this live from the beach for for the following. perfect. <laughs> so your you know your experience with understanding the right the regulatory pathway for submissions is is obvious and, and clear and. The webinar that we did on the 510k submission pathway and really understanding how to make the governing bodies process uh, make their job easier understanding things through their eyes what to do what not to do to make your own life easier to have a successful submission that was extremely well attended and and well received webinar Uh, so you have just a ton of successful submissions as an author, and then certainly have led teams uh, in terms of oversight and, and strategy. So what I'm really excited about today is how we're going to talk about really what the C-suite should be thinking about, how regulatory should have a seat at the table relevant mm-hmm. to, to strategy and how the company grows uh, to avoid the, the issues with risk and to become, you know, to be more efficient. And mm-hmm. so let's just start with from a regulatory submission, well, let's let's start with behind where that submission comes from and, and what what initiates it. And so what should, let's start kind of at the C-suite. What should they be looking at? What should they be thinking about? Um, whether it's, a, you know, the country they start in or what determines uh, what starts the process of then moving it to the regulatory department and, and starting those interactions uh, for whether it's a 510k or PMA or de novo or a breakthrough technology submission? Sure, sure. Very good questions. Uh, that I get asked that all the time. Where do, at, at what point along the way do we bring regulatory to the table? Um, can, we, can we push them off until a little bit later after we develop the product and maybe bring them in and all they have to say is, no problem, 510k and away we go. It's that easy. Well, I wish it was that easy. It's it's typically not. Um, there are the, the regulatory landscapes come become very complicated. Uh, 
not only which pathway, whether it's this kind of submission or another kind of submission, but the impact of those pathways on international submissions, which could come later or could come earlier or could come simultaneously, depending on marketing strategy, but also depending on regulatory advantage. Mm -hmm. You can try to put together a regulatory pathway which addresses both entry into the United States market and the European market, maybe the Canadian market. You want to hit all those three first and then roll out to China and then go to Australia, whatever your strategy is. Sometimes that testing or design can overlap and it's good to know those things up front. What is the regulatory impact? I strongly recommend to companies, whatever size company you are, do bring your regulatory expert in, bring them to the table early in the process. This is, this is very important because just as your marketing person is gonna be thinking through, how am I going to roll this out and what sequence, what collateral am I gonna to put together? How are we gonna control the narrative with our customers? All of those factors. You also need to think through what is our regulatory strategy because changes that are made, decisions that are made along the way may have an impact on the regulatory pathway. What if we say this about the product? What if we make this claim? Uh, will that make our pathway to market easier? Will it make it harder? Will it have no impact? Um, your regulatory professional can tell you this right up front and you might want to hold off on that marketing claim until rev two of your product. If you wanna to get to market faster, or maybe that's so critical to your product, hold back, test it, prove it, and then get all that in the same submission at the same time. So it's for a variety of reasons, it's very important to have the regulatory professional there upfront, um, not necessarily guiding everything. Don't worry, you know, your marketing and sales people will be there. Uh, leading the charge, but they're advisors, they're consultants, they're part of your team. They're there to tell you, um, yes, we can do that, or there are risks if you try to do that. It could take longer. There may be increased hurdles with the FDA or Ministry of Health abroad. Now, I think there's so many things that you just said there that are really smart. And I was thinking about, for example, MDSAP, if you were trying to go into a non-MDSAP yes. relevant country versus, you know, there's only so many resources. And so, yeah. uh, you, you know, you just mentioned, you know, the commercial side, right? So in terms of uh, do, looking at this transactionally or, or, or putting the cart before the horse in terms mm -hmm. of the commercial side, because uh, we just did a whole series on, um, you know, failures of commercial launches relevant to a variety of reasons and the financial disasters there because of that. And so understanding, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then certainly the, the, the product category, right? If it's, if it's mm -hmm. let's say a diagnostic or an IVD where you're gonna add additional uh, product categories, then you know, to increase the portfolio versus yep. one that's, that's not as large, but understanding what that's going to cost from a compliance standpoint, and then how you do that is going to determine uh, adding additional salespeople, how it affects your PL, 
And mm-hmm. so if you do it wrong or you expand yourself too far, mm-hmm. you could end up wasting money. And, um, and, and obviously it's going to impact your P&L and your bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the types of things that just as you would turn to um, your design or your marketing or your testing people, um, what's this, what is going to be the cost of doing all of this? Turn to your regulatory person. What's going to be the cost in terms of finances, of course, but also time, which is finances. Um, is it going to take longer to get this done? What are the impacts on BNL? Yeah, I almost think of like, so the regulatory expert, that it's just so vital that they have a seat at the table relevant to your long-term pathway and how you get to patient populations in a way, obviously the product has to be safe and effective with positive outcomes and it has to be reproducible from a financial standpoint so you can make money or you're not going to yep. be in business very long. Um, similar to how medical affairs is, is your risk relevant to what you say, what you don't say and how you mm-hmm. share content and, and you don't shoot your, shoot your foot off. So yeah. um, how, in terms of one thing I wanted to ask you with, obviously we did a webinar in last November on the changes in the MDR. And even though the date, the final date was moved to 2027, obviously in terms of having your notified body and uh, aspects of your quality management system, those things have to be done next year in the fall. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, with the changes going on with MDR, you know, some companies are looking at entering Europe or selling in Europe differently. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that from a strategy standpoint in, in terms of a, of a U.S. company going there versus a, another market? What have you seen? Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing is that it's, there has been a stereotype for many years. The United States is um, obviously the most lucrative market on the planet. Yay, we all want to go sell there. That's right. where we're going to make the most money. However, it has always been the most difficult uh, market to get into in terms of regulatory uh, hurdles. I hate to call them that, that you have to jump. Um, but that's changing over time. Uh, there are two other competitors for that uh, dubious uh, uh, top ranking, um, Europe and China, and for kind of different reasons, but both of them are becoming a lot more stringent on their regulations. You were talking about Europe with MDR and the, the advent of MDR and the interpretations and implementations that came along behind it. Um, I'm seeing a lot of companies that are saying, you know what, I used to think that let's go to Europe first, get a little experience, show some clinical evidence that this thing works, turn around, show that back here in the States to the FDA, it'll get us into the market easier. Mm-hmm. We'll have something solid to go on. Now I'm seeing a shift in that. Uh, companies are more often saying, it's just not worth all the hurdles that we've got to go through up front to go through MDR. Let's bring it to the States first um, and see if, and we think we can get it on the market it's a pretty clear pathway. Um, and then we can put together that information, turn this around, show the, the clinical data to the Europeans. Look, it works across the pond in America. Um, similar patient populations, similar, you know, all of those things. 
use that to reinforce your market entry into Europe. So it's, it's really been a complete revolution yeah, for all companies, but a lot of them are going that way. Your, your risk in terms of in, in the process, if you get into the U.S., you've got the opportunity for more revenue because there's more patients. And yes. it's interesting. We recently did a, we're talking to a potential client about a CER that need to be reevaluated for an orthopedic product for MedDev 2.7-1 uh, relevant to the MDR. And the auditors are, are apparently a lot more specific than they were in the past. And certainly from MDD to MDR, the risk is, is spread out now. There, there was yeah. less risk before now everybody has a higher risk. So to, to what we talked about earlier, having that regulatory consultant and understanding your strategy up front and making sure there's no misalignment there relevant yep. to what the product can do and yep. what that looks like due to the total accessible market from a revenue standpoint is really important because again, you could, you could waste a lot of time and money and not get across the finish line. Absolutely. It is. And, and, and I've talked to, uh, some of my European counterparts in these notified bodies. And they say, we know what you're saying in industry. You guys are frustrated with us because we're holding you to a higher bar. But look at it from our standpoint. Behind us are the competent authorities breathing down our neck. They're holding us to a higher bar. Right. Behind the competent authorities is the European Commission breathing down their necks. It's, it's kind of gone back. And so there's, this, there's just really a whole new way of looking at it in the European community. And that trickle down theory comes down to um, the individual corporations or startups that are they're trying in good faith to meet these regs, but they're being held to a higher standard than they used to. And I mean, obviously there are certain scenarios where there over-regulation can be a challenge at the same time when you're talking about our families and, and patients. Yep. Outcomes, access, efficiency, efficiency to the healthcare system. Uh, there's certain aspects of why that's being held to a higher standard that are understandable when you look at what happened to kind of initiate the MDD situation to move to the MDR. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I appreciate you kind of sharing your perspective on that. So, as a as a consultant currently, and I know you've done consulting in the past, uh, you've also obviously had a strong background and career with companies in, in, in the commercial world. But as a consultant currently, you have a lot of experience helping startup companies to develop their regulatory fair strategy early. So what are some of the challenges that you have found uh, in interacting with, with startups for their strategy? Yeah, it's a good question. A lot of... Um... A lot of startups that I talk to, they're they're often, you know, it's a, it's a, a brilliant design engineer or a physician or somebody that comes up with a great new idea for a medical device. They've thought it through. They understand the clinical need. They understand, they may understand the market really well. They understand a lot of things. They're not so sure about the regulatory pathway, and they kind of have this vision of. Well, that's just red tape, frankly. Um, how can we cut through that red tape? How can, see, I, I need somebody to kind of help me, a consultant, or maybe I hire somebody on staff who can get me around those regs so I can get to market and get selling. Well, 
I wish you was that. <laughs> I wish it was that way. You can't get around the regs. Unfortunately, they do have the, the the force of law. We have to live with them. We may disagree. We may not like them, but they're there. And honestly, they do have a good purpose behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, the the pressures are there to get to market, but uh, regulatory submissions are not just some bureaucrat in DC who's going to staple and file an application. Once it gets through the right signatures, you're good to go. It's really an extensive process of review to make sure that your company has um, designed your product well, tested your product well, uh, is making claims about your product that are accurate, uh, provable, and proven, um, and that the device shows a high probability that it will be safe and effective uh, once it uh, for the clinical need it intends to address once it gets on the market. This is all born out of, in the United States, we have a history in the Wild West of selling snake oil. That's kind of where the FDA came from. There was, you know, guys would go town to town. They would have some elixir. They'd stand up and say, listen up, folks, this will cure your gout, your headache, your who knows what, gather around, I'm selling it by the bottle. And they'd be out of town before these unsuspecting people figured out, not only did it, was it not effective, it may actually cause some harm. Yeah. And there's, there, you know, the well-worn phrase, there's no law against uh, telling a lie in our country, not entirely true, but um, but those guys would escape town. There was no regulation, there's no way to stop them. And people did get hurt. Um, people, people even died. Uh, some awful things happened. Out of that, a cry arose. We've got to have some kind of protection from this. And from that grew the regulation. So to understand where all this came from really helps a lot. Um, and a lot of early stage companies don't understand what needs to be done. What, why, why, do, why are we doing what we're doing? And, uh, you know, how, how do we get through this process as smoothly and easily as possible? That's what your regulatory expert is there to help you with. So there's so many things that came to mind as you were as you were talking about <laughs> that. My first but one was the elixir probably didn't taste very good either. But that's, uh, that's probably didn't, no. that's probably the least important thing that popped into my, into my mind. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, there's seven to eight reasons why consistently over, you know, decades and decades of why companies fail and why companies succeed and certain, mm-hmm. certainly business planning or not understanding the market they're entering or their positioning mm-hmm. in the market is, is, is certainly two of those. And so that kind of came to mind as you were talking about this, but when you're talking about, again, you know, patient, patients, benefit to patients, benefits to clinicians, dealing with patients, uh, whether that's outcomes, access. I look at everything, outcomes, access, or does it create efficiency in the healthcare system so we can take those dollars and spend them elsewhere, right? To the benefit of, mm-hmm. of all of us. So understanding that piece is really, really important. And the more, I always say with hiring, if you do it transactionally, you're going to get transactional results. And so uh, I think the, obviously the exact same thing applies here. And as, as an entrepreneur, you know, being in business, is hard. Most businesses don't make it. Half of startups don't make it a year. Half of those aren't around at year five. Well over 70% of companies, probably over 80, don't make it 10 years. And so 
understanding your resource and your pathway and not being transactional, taking that time to make sure that you have it right uh, is so, it's so vital. 70% of 510k submissions are not approved the first time. Look at the wasted resources, the issues. The yeah. average FDA warning letter is $5 million. It's over 5 million. That doesn't count, you know, wasted resources for shipping or recalls and those type of things, the hit to the stock for that company, if it's a publicly traded company. And so yeah. what you're talking about is not just about how quickly you get to market and, and get that revenue. If you do it wrong, it can destroy your company, not to mention it can also destroy, destroy families and lives. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. If you'd like to see more, please follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our YouTube and RSS. Visit SureXSolutions.com to learn more about SSI and receive a complimentary consultation.